Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. So the Middle Springs Hotel was built in 1913. It was really built by three people. It, it was a, a sort of a consortium. August and Herman Luer, who owned Luer Meatpacking here in Alton, worked with a guy named August Ratz. And the whole plan was when they discovered water on the Ratz. site... Yeah, R-A-T-Z, that was his name. I'll show you his picture in a minute. They, they decided that the, the mineral water they discovered underneath this property had these curative powers. And it, it didn't, but, you know, there was really no regulation back in those days. And, and, and rats convinced them to build this grand hotel where people could come and bathe in the water and drink it and be healed of any number of diseases. And how did uh, the Soul Asylum Museum come to be? There was a wonderful lady here named Janet Kolar, and Janet owned the Museum of Historic Torture Devices, um, which is not really my thing. But, but Janet's a sweet lady and, and was a very, very good friend of mine, still is. I wanted her to have some dignity as she retired, and I agreed to buy the museum from her. But I wanted to take it in a different direction. And so not just torture devices? <laughs> no, I mean, they're still here, um, but but that's really not, you know, they're interesting historically, but but people that come to Alton are here for the hauntings. They're here to, to just explore the weirdness. It's kind of a place that it's okay to be a little creepy and a little bit different, if only for a weekend. And, and so I had all of these things in my personal collection, and I just wanted to share them with people. All of these things were in your personal collection? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, now yeah. we gotta, you got to tell that story. Yeah, well, so I, uh, I spent uh, many, many decades in the military. Uh, I'm a retired Navy officer. Um, I've traveled around the world um, several times. And so I've always been a little bit of an explorer and an adventurer. And, and the thing that really intrigues me are the common bounds, the things that tie us all together, how we understand the world around us, how we interpret things. And the one universality is is death and God. And how do we look at these really um, nebulous concepts as human beings? And it gets kind of heavy, but, but the way almost every culture around the world does it is through their mythology, and that involves hauntings. Well, let's talk about some of the things that are here. Sure. Um, Tell me about some of the categories that we have here. Well, what I've done is I've divided it into probably seven or eight categories. Um, it kind of just kicks you right in the face when you first start um, from 
the history of the spiritualist movement, uh, the Fox Sisters, uh, spirit boards. We have a canard board on loan from my friend Deanna Erskine here, which is the first Ouija board ever made in 1890. Uh, human skull, uh, medical uh, stuff, medical quackery, religious so like relics. Snake oil. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's my, my favorite thing. Um, my, my degree is in osteology, which is a physical anthropology field. And, and so anything that deals with sort of an empirical scientific method interpretation of the human body. And uh, I, I, I get into that very, very much. So, yeah, a lot of snake oil stuff. So there behind you is serial killers. Yeah. Religious relics. Esoterica. What yeah. Yeah. That's just like carnival barking stuff. You, there's a Jerry, you, you can see it from here. There's a Jerry Mahoney doll on the top shelf. A lot of people, if, 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 you're, if you're my age, you remember watching Johnny Carson and, and seeing Jerry Mahoney on the old Carson show. What people don't know is uh, the same guy that, uh, that, that was the ventriloquist for Mahoney was also the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Oh. He's also the guy that invented the artificial heart. He was a medical doctor. Really? I'm not even kidding you. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's cool stuff. And, and, and so there's some neat things. There's some mummy wrappings, about 3,000-year-old wrappings off an Egyptian mummy in there. There's a, a moon rock. Uh, there's a tiny half a gram fragment of a Martian meteorite. How do you get those things? <sighs> My wife Donna and I have led... Um, the most colorful life you can imagine. Um, we've traveled around the world. Um, we don't have children. I always look for the odd things when I'm traveling. And, and you just become networked with people that collect this kind of stuff. And, and so things just move around in this network throughout the country. And yeah, Martian and Moon Rocks, it's cool stuff. I got to be honest. If I was here at night and I had that uh, ventriloquist doll and those baby dolls over there staring at me from yeah. these cases. I'm not sure. I, I'm yeah. getting a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, we do get some weird things in here. There's a uh, there's a music box. Um, it doesn't look like it, but next to that, that Venetian lamp over there on top of the torture device case. And uh, it will play. Uh, it doesn't happen often. And, and the, I've had this museum for about two years now, and it's gone off twice that I know of. Um, but there's cameras in here, and you'll capture odd things. I mean, the, the, the building's very haunted. I think it's important to, to understand that a haunting doesn't just occur where someone may have passed away. I mean, think about it. Think about it from your own perspective. You know, where were you the happiest? When did you feel the most alive? Like this moment of bliss that you have experienced in your life. We've all had that, right? Mm -hmm. So wouldn't that be the feeling you would want to experience for an eternity? So not every place is haunted because someone died there. Some places are haunted because folks have incredible memories of being in that place. And this was a hotel, and it was a place where people came to be healed, although that didn't happen. But it was also a hotel where people came to do hotel things, and, and you know what I mean by that. <laughs> and, and so lots of the ghost stories here involve uh, infidelity, and, uh, and those are, are moments in someone's life that were very emotional, and, and I think they're still here. So I take it, Dave, you believe in ghosts. I didn't uh, believe in ghosts until I had uh, my own experiences. Lots of paranormal groups rent the building and host investigations, and that's fantastic. Every square foot of this 97,000 square foot building has got a story associated with it. And like last November, I was downstairs in the sub-basement known as the slaughterhouse, not for, not for a negative reason about human beings. It was a pork slaughterhouse at one point. I was down there with about 20 people. And we kept hearing sounds like 
footsteps in really heavy snow, like that crushing noise. And so I said, stay here, and I'll go and investigate this. And I walked out into the hallway, and there was this brilliant white small light descending down the stairs to the space we were in. And it grew to about six, seven, eight feet in diameter. And then it just flew down the hall and impacted me and knocked me up against the wall. Wow. It's a great story to tell, but you're like, eh, really, anyone see it? Yes, the entire group saw what happened. It was frightening. Um, and, and we left, and about five minutes after we left, the wall just crumbled and fell. Mm. So this begs the question, was that a ghost in the building coming after me, or was that a guardian angel getting my attention to say, get out of the space before mm. something bad happens? So over in the, the, the medical quackery section, it's my favorite section in the entire museum, Things like Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup, that was a patent medicine that was produced in the 19th century. The medicine itself, they didn't disclose the ingredients. It contained about 200 milligrams of morphine in suspension in that bottle. So parents used this to soothe a screaming, teething baby. The, the problem is that a palliative dose of morphine for a human being our size, 14, 16 milligrams, maybe 20 tops, but oh. they were giving... Eight-pound babies, 200. It killed every baby that it was given to. Oh, my God. And it was taken off the market. The, the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act, as well as the Harrison Act that was passed around the same time, outlawed the use of things like this, like medicinal cocaine, medicinal mm -hmm. morphine, chocolate-coated heroin tablets. Oh, Lord. I, I, yeah, I, you know, the, the things like prescriptions for opium or prescriptions for alcohol during Prohibition. Um, probably my favorite thing in, in here is the Revigator. That's a uranium lined water crock. And, you know, for a, a good 15, 20 years of our history in the early 20th century, people were led to believe that if they drank radioactive water, it would cure everything. <laughs> and, and that uranium that's in there, it's as radioactive today as it was in, in the 1920s, would leach radium into the water. And your listeners are probably familiar with the story of the radium girls. The, the women that painted those clock watch faces with radium so they yeah. would go in the dark and it killed all of them. Mm. This thing leached 200,000 picocuries of radium into a liter of water a night. Oh, and, my gosh. And it was a tumor-producing machine. It, they were taken off the market once people realized what happened. And I would hope of, so. <laughs> most of them were ground into gravel and buried. Um, and, so was this radioactive? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, you're not absorbing much at all standing adjacent to it if i pulled it out of the case you put your hand down inside it mm -hmm. and you left your hand in it for five minutes or so mm -hmm. you, you would have radiation burn on it it's 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 wow. very it's very real thing well let's keep it in the case oh yeah definitely <laughs> no i don't let people handle that thing but this little fragment of upholstery came from the back seat of kennedy's convertible in 1963 wow and i've got all of the provenance to prove it and so, you know, at the Soul Asylum, you can see, or at least be adjacent to, I suppose, a piece of history from, um, you know, the Kennedy assassination. This is a piece of Jack Rubenstein, Jack Ruby, as he's known in, in, in common culture. The jacket he was wearing when he shot Oswald a few days later, that's a fragment of that oh, jacket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the Lincoln trifecta. There's a, a small piece of the Ford's Theater where we all know John Wilkes Booth assassinated Lincoln. When Lincoln was taken across the street to the Peterson House where he eventually passed, that's a fragment of the wallpaper from that room. Mm. 
And that's a fragment of the charred barn, the Garrett Tobacco Barn, where Booth was supposed to have been captured, but um, a soldier with an itchy finger shot him through the spine, and he didn't surrender because he was paralyzed and was burned. So that's the trifecta. The, the, the Lincoln trifecta. you got yeah. a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, I mean, Captain Foil from the Apollo 11 landing on the moon, that little tiny gold fragment was a piece of the foil that was on the bottom of the lunar lander and was brought hmm. back. And, and so... Why would you buy that? You know, people ask me because it's, it's cool. And to be able to hold this in your hand or, or to hold that piece of moon rock in your hand, that's kind of cool. It I is kind of cool. Think about that, how many people have walked on the moon. I mean, it's less than 20. <laughs> to be able to come to Alton, Illinois and see something that's been to the moon and back and hold a piece of the moon. And I'll let people hold anything they want in my cases. Yeah. Anything. The, the garrote, which was an execution. Ugh device <clears throat> that looks terrifying, terrifying. right <laughs> yeah i mean the, the the condemned would be sat in the chair the chain would be tied around them and the uh man the the dial would be twisted in the back and well you can just figure yeah. it out from there but <laughs> the scavenger's daughter the chastity belt um you know the the pair of anguish which probably was never really used as a torture device it's, it? it well the it, pair you it would be inserted and then opened up okay yeah <laughs> um you know it's like the iron maiden you know yes was probably never ever used not no? a real thing no probably not one of my um, favorite bands though this entire museum was this stuff that's right here in front of us and this is a big room so she had it pretty well spread out for me it just didn't make sense economically that that folks would want to come and visit alton and have this experience this this is not a comforting experience to look at torture devices but is a component of hauntings of medical quackery of things like the autopsy table or the embalming table which are here it, it ties into it yeah we have an embalming table autopsy table and then we also of course have a wooden wheelchair you oh, have, there's a couple of wheelchairs you have yeah. to have one of those what is this the, okay so this is called this is reproduction this would have been called a death cage and the way that it worked is this device which is a, a, a it's called a kank it, this would be fashioned, and you can see some images of it. It doesn't translate well for radio, but this would be fashioned around uh, a, a, a convicted person's head. And because of the diameter of it, it's about three feet square, they were unable to raise their arms up to reach their face. They couldn't feed themselves. They really couldn't take care of any mm. sort of personal hygiene. So what this device created was a requirement for their loved ones to sort of tend to their every need. How long would you be willing to do that? <laughs> and it's terrifying. It's like immurement, which was locking someone in a case. Um, that's actually a real photograph of a woman who was convicted. And above it are uh, people who were executed uh, from Ling Chi, which is death by a thousand cuts. Uh, if you're familiar with the Boxer Rebellion, which is a really fascinating piece mm -hmm. of history, the Boxer Rebellion involved these people in China um, around the turn of the 20th century. But they were called the Boxers because they would go through these sort of Tai Chi martial arts movements, and they thought that by doing these things it would make them impervious to bullets. And they were revolting against the Chinese royal family. Well, the Chinese royal family was all about going to a more Western style of culture, and these folks did not want that. So the, the royal family brought in soldiers from America, 
England, France, Germany, all these European and Americans were brought in to put down the Boxer Rebellion. Well, they did pretty quickly because those movements did not make them impervious to bullets. And when they <laughs> yeah. captured these guys after the rebellion, they were imprisoned in these kanks. And then at some point, they would take the person and they would rest the kank on top of the death cage and put bricks under their feet. And over time, they would just kick a brick out until finally the person was strangulated mm. by the device. So, terrifying stuff. This is the autopsy, autopsy table, table. Okay. from the Dixmont Psychiatric Institution outside of Pittsburgh. And a friend of mine owned this thing. Dixmont has a weird, weird connection with Alton. And that's the only reason that I acquired this from him is uh, Dorothea Dix, who started Dixmont, came to Alton in 1856. She was the prison reformer that led to the Alton State Penitentiary being closed. In 1859, um, when she left here, she went back up to Pennsylvania and formed Dixmont, which was this 400-acre psychiatric institution that stayed in practice until uh, the early 80s, I think 84. This was the only autopsy table in the morgue. Thousands so, of people were autopsied on this. Now, why did you say this is the most terrifying thing in here? It's haunted as they come. <laughs> this thing is just ghastly, and, and it's never been cleaned. The dirt and the hair and the... All right, this I'm going to step away from the, the viscera, <laughs> there's skin in the drains. Oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. So if I come back at night, there'll probably be some uh, ghosts floating around here? Well, I, they won't necessarily be floating around, but we have a device called an SLS camera, a structured light sensor camera. If you ever watch any of the ghost shows, that's yeah, I've seen that thing. If you want to see it, we'll do it. Okay, let's okay. do it. Okay. All right. So what's so that is, sound? This is called a spirit box, and it's scanning through frequencies at about 150 millisecond sweep rates. Can you tell us your name? Drew? So what this is, this is called a ovulus, and what it does is it absorbs electromagnetic frequency from the ambient air around it, and it converts those readings into a number, and that number equals a word in its dictionary. Jackie. Your name is Jack. Okay. Okay, Jackie. Okay, Jackie. That's what it says. Jackie, who are you? Gasp January. It is January. Okay. <laughs> well, you're safe. You can be safe in here. We'll leave you alone. You know, a lot of people, when they hear about the building being haunted, it can be a real turnoff because they don't want to be in a haunted place. But the people that I take through the building, and, and what's important to me is for people to have that sort of more spiritual experience, not things jump out and scare you. I mean, that has happened, but this is much more about getting into um, touch with our own mortality. But when there's things that happen that are unexplainable, if it opens the door to someone thinking about that problem set a little bit differently, sure, then it's a good thing, I think. I think so. Yeah. I think Um, you can be a skeptic and also be open-minded and uh, you can appreciate a place like this. Yeah. Even if you aren't a true believer or you think that these things can be explained. Absolutely. The last thing I ever want to do is convert someone into thinking the way I think. That would make the world pretty boring. That's right. I I like a diversity of opinion and a different way of looking at things. Well, you're an interesting guy, Dave. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. (laughs) That's for sure. That is a compliment. That's the way I look at that. Well, Dave Nunnally, the owner of the Soul Asylum Museum in Alton, Illinois. This is a fascinating place. <laughs> I promise your five bucks, it's worth it to have an opportunity to see all this stuff. Thanks so much for your time. You're more than welcome. I'm glad you came. Thank you. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices so join the revolution subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring listen on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast you'll be glad you did